following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good evening, everybody. Let's give the Lord a great big hand here tonight. How about it, huh? Yeah. Yeah. He's an awesome God. It's good to be back with you on Wednesday night. We have had some fabulous Wednesday nights lately. Uh, Pastor Jabin was incredible last week. And a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Clint was very amazing when he spoke to us. And so tonight, you've had enough steak, you're going to get salad tonight. (laughs) I love all of you. It's an honor to be here on this Wednesday night, and if I'm too loud, you might turn me down just a little bit. I feel a little loud. I don't like to be loud. It hurts people's ears and bothers me. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. That's better. Thank you. Would you stand? You're incredible people, and I love you very, very much. And uh, I'm going to teach the gospel tonight. We are having communion tonight. I'm very grateful for First Wednesdays at our church. I love First Wednesdays. And we're, folks, we're in October. Wow. We're in October. And our kids are already talking about the sea thing. I'm not talking about cancer. I'm talking about Christmas. And I don't know if we've paid last year's Christmas bills off. Uh, Yes, we have. I'm just messing with you. But my wife can spend Christmas money on those grandkids and on our kids. And uh, do do I get anything spent on me, babe? We don't... We don't spend much on each other. We really, really don't. We, uh, we have so many to buy for. Uh, we're so grateful that we have a big family. I love all nine of mine. Nine grands are amazing. And Have I told you about my grandkids? <laughs> They're really amazing. I hadn't talked about them in a long time, so I thought I'd share it with you tonight. Every one of them is brilliant. Every one of them is beautiful. And every one of them have wonderful parents, and I love my grands. We go to Mighty Fine every Wednesday night before church, whether we want to or not. We go to Mighty Fine, and we eat together. And tonight, I sit between the baby, Eva, and uh, Everson, and I sit by Jennings. And Jennings is just old enough to be cute and Everson don't know she's beautiful, but she is. And Jennings and I were stacking salt shakers on top of each other and then put her, her sippy cup on top of it. We had a, a four-tier pier, uh, building. Then she just flipped it, you know. She, she wanted to see it fall down. So I put it back together, and then I knocked it down. And it was so much fun. Now, I know that some of you think that I'm just trying to pass time. I'm not. That was a wonderful moment for this grandfather to be there with my grandkids. That's a wonderful moment. And uh, now, tonight, I'm going to speak on the subject. I'm going to teach this more than preach it, but I'll, I may throw down just a little. But I'm going to, I'm going to teach tonight on the secret to a successful life. The secret. You know, there's a secret to successful living. Paul wrote about it in Philippians 2 when he said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, wow, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you clap your hands for the word tonight? You may be seated. I will not be lengthy. Good to have Pastor and his precious wife, the Seals, here with us tonight. Let's give them a wonderful hand. We love them. <clears throat> the morning of June 7, 1958, dawned at an Air National Guard's jet precision team, the Minutemen, were flying at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base just outside Dayton, Ohio. For the Minutemen, this was just another show, and they were happy the skies were clear, the air was morning smooth, and thousands of viewers came to see the show. One of the captains was named John Furrier, and he flew an F-86 for this Denver-based jet team. It was an air show like none other. Only the best pilots could be a part of this group. Each was incredibly brilliant, talented, and savvy and each shared in the same honor. They were all a part of the leading edge of our nation's defense. Yet above the crowd this day, a leading edge grew ragged. This serendipitous set of events unfolded and led to heroism and tragedy. The plane piloted by Captain John Ferrier developed rudder problems. The plane was locked in a right turn position. At first, the crowd thought it was part of the performance. Soon they realized it wasn't. Puffs of smoke billowed from Ferrier's jet. And through his earphones, John heard this superior command, eject, John, eject. But the canopy of the airplane remained intact over the cockpit. Again, the commanding officer radioed John. This time he pleaded, bail out, John, please bail out. He didn't, not because he couldn't. He simply wouldn't. John could have saved his own life that day. It took a mere flick of a button, but something restrained him, the uncertainty as to where this unmanned aircraft with this rudder problem would land. It could crash into thousands of innocent bystanders below and into the nearby houses that he knew a lot of children were in. And the potential loss of life kept him from bailing out. Bail out, John, bail out. The commander shouted once more. And the stress of the G-forces was so great that all John could do was acknowledge that he heard his superior by punching the control stick, which sent short puffs of smoke. This was language the pilots understood. John was conscious. He was still in control. And the plane bathed in smoke, quickly, quickly lost altitude. All eyes watched as the plane made a sudden turn toward the only vacant piece of property in the area. 
And there in a small meadow, John's plane crashed like a purposeful meteorite. It took tremendous courage for John not to hit the eject button that day. It took a fortitude that few could only understand. Now, I know this sounds like a sad story, but it's a great lesson we're going to learn. Captain John Ferrier left behind a wife and some beautiful children. Yet when John's widow came to collect his belongings, she found a small piece of paper tucked in the corner of his wallet that explained his actions that day. And on that paper was printed John's priorities in life, the reason which caused him to give his own life that others might live. In a few minutes, I'll share those words with you because I believe they form the secrets of a successful life. Matthew chapter 27, 42 They said about Jesus, he saved others. Himself, he cannot save. Years ago, Barbara Johnson, you know, she's a a comedic writer, wrote a book entitled, Where Does a Mother Go to Resign? (laughs) Where do you go? I remember one of our pastor's wives one time used to go to the bathroom and lock the door from her kids and take a book so she could read just a little bit, just to get a little peace of mind. So if it's a bathroom for you, God bless you. If it's a garage, God bless you. Where do you go to resign? The title provokes thoughts almost ludicrous. Since when does a mother resign? Even a greater question, my question, where does the creator go to resign? Where does he go? I mean, when he knows that the world he's created is kind of mixed up today and sin is abounding and the highway of holiness has merged into a broad way of badness And when a paradise of the righteous becomes a jungle of the judgmental, where does the creator go to resign? I'll tell you what he does. The cross is where the lamb gives up so that man can get up. Is anybody here happy that Jesus went to a cross for us one day? It's because of the cross. It's because he gave up at the cross that we can get up. He said, no man has the power to take my life, but I will give it, and I have the power to raise it up again. Aren't you glad he gave his life so we could all get up? Hey, you gotta get up power. It's called the cross tonight. Come on, clap your hands. You gotta get up power. You don't have to stay down. You don't have to be defeated. You gotta get up power. It's called the cross. Calvary where Jesus makes a dying gasp and grasp for humanity. The cross is the greatest success story ever told. Earth was redeemed by one who lost so that he could win it all. Golgotha is a skull-shaped hill located on the heavily traveled Jericho Road. Romans hung their prisoners there so that the passerbyers could see and be forewarned you don't want to do bad in this country. Hung between two thieves, the Savior seemed anything but a success. And the religious aristocracy mocked him Travelers passing by wagged their heads and hissed at him. The Bible even said some spit on him and others cursed him. The common sentiment was simple. He saved others. Himself, he cannot save. If you're the king, come down. Press the button, Jesus. Eject. Escape. Call your 12 legion of angels to shred this dark sky. Yet 2,000 years prior, we witness in the captain of our salvation, Paul said, what was found in the wallet of Captain John Ferrier. It was not written on paper. 
that the Lord's was written in human flesh against a backdrop of heaven. Jesus showed all the makings of a successful life. Before I go further, let me say this on the Lord's behalf. One of the best secrets of successful living is who you let define you. Come on, you need to clap your hands on that. That's the gospel, that's, that's the gospel. It's time for you to tell some people to butt off and some people to come on in. Some of you have been listening to the wrong voices and it's time you start listening to the right voices. Because I promise you, one of the greatest secrets of successful living is who you let define your future. So often in living for God, the greatest struggle people have is allowing the enemy to define who they are. You cannot let the enemy define who you are. He will never tell you that you're something great. He'll always tell you you're defeated. He'll always tell you you're nothing. He'll always tell you you're not gonna make it. He'll always come and tell you why even try. He'll always come to try to discourage you. But I promise you, you cannot let that define who you are. That's right. In our walk with God, there are two key influences. Everybody say good and evil. Good and evil. God and all of his helpers is good. Satan and all his demons is evil. Our God is known as our advocate. Aren't you glad you have an advocate? Aren't you glad you have a lawyer? Aren't you glad you have somebody on your side that knows all the answers? Come on now. And the devil is the accuser. He'll accuse you. You know what the Bible said? The Bible said when you start getting accused, said agree with an adversary while you're in the way so you can go tell on yourself before the devil can go get and tell on you that you've messed up. You need to agree with him and say, you know what, you're right. I'm gonna go tell that to Jesus and go start talking to Jesus because that's the last person he wants you to go talk to. I'm here to declare it's time for us to decide who's gonna determine our future and who's gonna let us have the liberty we're looking for today. Somebody say amen to that. See, God always sees us in the best light possible. And the devil is always seeing us in the worst light possible and creating worse light situations. If we do not take the time to bring our issues and problems to God, we'll end up being unduly influenced by information that's not always beneficial to us. If you study the life of Abraham, folks, you see the facts. I got it all in caps with, 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 with uh, those little thingies. <laughs> Abraham lied twice about his wife. He struggled. He took shortcuts with a woman and just made plain dumb decisions. He did. However, if you read what God said of Abraham in Hebrews, he said this, he staggered not. How's that work, Jesus? God chooses to see us in our victories and overlooks the struggles it took to get us there. Some of you don't get that just yet. Some of you are saying, Pastor, I can't get over my past. And you tell the Lord about it, and he said, what are you talking about? I don't know anything about that. I put that under the blood when you repented of your sins. It's covered by the blood. 
David sinned with a woman. He killed a man in battle. David messed up more than one time in his life. But in Acts 13, God calls him a man after his own heart. What I want to tell you is that you need to understand who you're going to let define you. You need to start listening to the voice of that world, not the voice of this world. And I'm declaring tonight, it's time to make the switch. Change the channel. Change the channel. Get you a new antenna and let it reach up to the heavenlies and let God define who you are. Oh, hallelujah. Woo. <laughs> hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, some people that you live around might be used by old Slewfoot himself. And they might walk up and say, you know what, I, I think I'd just get out of the church if I was you. Because you're messing up the church. You ain't no good. You know what? This church is for people just like that. Just like that. Just like that. Let God define you. Let God define you. See, it's almost like God ignores the valley because he sees the mountaintops in our life. He sees our high water marks instead of our barrenness. Let him define you. So what is the secret of a successful life? Is it never giving up, Pastor? Is that the secret, never giving up? Great advice came from Winston Churchill, the famed speech at a college commencement. His speech solely consisted of repeating three words three times, never give up, never give up, never give up, and he went and sat down and got a 30-minute standing ovation. I wonder if I could do that tonight. <laughs> never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Come on now. Come on now. There's a simple truth here. Success is not cornered by the brilliant or the noble. It goes to those who simply refuse to give up. The fabled tortoise that persevered past the hare Success goes to those who keep on keeping on. Those in the arena of endeavor who try and fail, but try again. There are some words for this. Micah 7 and 8 says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. For when I fall, he didn't say if I fall, he said when I fall, I know I'm going to make mistakes. I shall arise. And though I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Amen, amen, amen. Matthew 24, 13 said, he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. Revelation 2 and 10 said, be thou faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. Never give up, never stop, never quit. My dad used to teach this theorem it's always too, quit, too soon to quit, son. It's always too soon. Okay, Dad. So I don't care if it's the fourth quarter, son. It's always too soon to quit. Don't you ever quit. Don't you ever quit. Don't you ever quit. Don't you ever stop. You get up and you keep going. Though your face be bloodied and your head be bowed, you get up and keep going. 
because God blesses people who have the ability to never surrender to the enemy of this world. Come on, somebody. With patience and perseverance, the snail made it to the ark before the door was shut. 17 years ago, folks, the oldest woman to ever climb Mount Everest reached the summit. On the same day, the first married couple reached the rooftop of the world. I think the woman beat the man to the top. I'm teasing, I just made that up. (laughs) On the same day, the only woman to climb both faces of Everest reached the peak for the second time. Crowded, you say? No, Everest is not crowded. It's quite lonely at the top. Heights are reached by those who put one foot above the other. See, a lot of life is showing up and not giving up. Just being there when you're supposed to be there. Learning to patiently wait for your dreams' fulfillments. Yet if perseverance was the secret of a successful life, then why are so many determined people miserable today? Joy eludes them like a proverbial bird of paradise. It really does. They've ratcheted their way to the top of the corporate structure. Their resume reads like a roadmap of the riches. Yet their achievements lead to bereavements. And they die lonely and they die miserable. There has to be more to life than just a stick to itiveness. Yes, it's wonderful, but there's got to be more. So is the secret to never settle for second best, Pastor? Not only not ever giving up, but never selling for second best. Some say that. The story I'm about to tell I use a lot in funerals, but I want to tell it tonight. I heard about a professor who stood before his class of senior organism biology students, was about to hand them their final exam. Just before he did, he stopped and he said, I want to say it's been a real pleasure teaching you this semester. One could almost hear the class sigh. Yeah, right. He was a bad, tough professor. He continued, I know you've worked very hard. Many of you are off to medical school this summer. If your grade point average survives this exam, the class grew very quiet and attentive. They sensed something unusual transpiring. They strained to hear the professor's next words. So he said, so that no one gets their GPA mixed up. Somebody's got an amber alert going on around here. Tell Jesus to find that little girl, that little boy. Amen, I believe in that. So that no one gets their GPA messed up too bad. Anyone who would like to opt out of the final exam will receive a B for the course. The class rejoiced, took a deep breath, and most of them filed out of the room. There were a lot of thank yous. Thank you, Prof. Thank you, sir. Only a handful of students remained at their desk looking ill at ease. The instructor looked over a few students and asked, anyone else? It's your last chance. One more teetering student was pushed over the edge, and he too joined the B pack outside. The instructor then closed the door behind the last student leaving and calmly looking at, and calmly took attendance of the remaining students. He then looked up and said with a twinkle in his eye, I'm glad to see you believe in yourself. Those who left got a B, you who stayed get an A. Never settle for second best. See, good is the enemy of best. And the primary is easily seduced by the secondary. Good, better, best. Never rest until your good is better and your better is best. I learned that in grade school. Good lessons. Too many people opt for the path of least resistance 
They go with the flow and drift through life. They get, go along to get along. It's called the gaga effect. They have the backbone of a jellyfish and the courage of an earthworm. Their intentions are trumped by the path they're on. However, let me say that there are those who give themselves wholly to a cause only to find out that their cause was flawed. They lean their ladders against towers of Babel, never to be completed and filled with confusion. They climb the wrong beanstalk. They never find the goose that lays the golden egg. You know why? Because success is more than persistence. It is more than reaching for the best. The secret of successful life, folks, is found at Calvary. Say Calvary. Say Calvary. At Calvary, Jesus was hung between two thieves. They were guilty. He wasn't. They had no choice. He did. He chose the cross as the only hope for their guilt. <clears throat> Sunday night, we arrived at our staff retreat. We went right out here at Dripping Springs and, and got a little place and had plenty of room for everybody to spend the night. Couples could go into their own rooms and spend the night. We stayed two nights and it was a beautiful, beautiful start. We, Randy brings the piano and Luke and, and Blake brought their guitars and we all brought our voices. It was such a wonderful evening. The first song we sang, the first song we sang, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. Everybody in the room was weeping. And I said to myself and to the God that was listening to me, this is gonna be the best planning session we have ever had because we allowed the presence of the cross and the Savior to identify with, and we loved him into the room, amen? And I wanna, I wanna share something with you. I'm not far from finishing now, I wanna share something. With one hand, he reached for one thief, with the other, he reached for the other thief. The religious police almost got it right. In fact, they were only one word away from the truth when they said he saved others. Himself he cannot save. Change one word. He saved others. Himself he would not save. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't. He died in our stead. Many of you don't know, but there's a legend about the Apostle Thomas. Randy, if you'll help me, I'd appreciate it. The apostles drew lots and his fell on India, but Thomas refused to go. Other, other apostles literally captured him Maybe not the 12, but the, some more apostles captured him and sold him as a slave to a man who had come to Jerusalem in search of carpenters. And Thomas was a fabulous carpenter. And he was assigned to build a new castle for the king of India. We all know that Thomas died in India. The apostles assured this man that Thomas would be just the man to oversee the construction of this castle. And once in India, Thomas gave the money set aside for the castle <laughs> to the poor. He didn't build a castle. Yet he continued assuring the king that the palace was in progress. Finally, the king asked Thomas if his palace was finished, and Thomas replied, yes. And the king asked to see it, and Thomas said, not now. Only when you depart this life can you see it. Because, sir, I've built you a palace in heaven by giving your money away to others. Thomas survived the king's wrath, and later the legend says the king became a Christian. See, success is not measured in this life, but in the life to come. Please hear me tonight. 
General Booth started the Salvation Army on one word, others, others, others. Can we get our eyes off ourselves and focus on others? God loved and God gave. Two thieves hung on a cross for the crime of taking. One Savior hung on the cross for the cause of giving. God loved and God gave. God loved and God gave. The law, the law of the Gentiles is this. Maybe you've never heard it. Man loves, so man takes. That's the law of the Gentiles. In Deadwood, South Dakota, fans of the American Wild West find an interesting museum filled with artifacts from the great gold rush of the Black Hills. An inscription reads there of a beleaguered, doomed prospector. On the wall it says, I've lost my gun. I lost my horse. I'm out of food. The Indians are after me. But I have got all the gold that I can carry. That's so flesh. The one with the most toys wins. That's what we preach in this world, don't we? The one with the most money at the end wins. But Christ showed a better way. Not about pleasing oneself, but serving others. A young man went to college, carried a gift from his parents who hoped he would not sacrifice his walk with God for popularity. A gift hung above the desk in his dorm. It was a framed piece of parchment upon which were penned the words, I'm third, I'm third. Everyone wanted to know. He said, when we graduate, I will tell you. And at graduation, he said, when I left home, mom and dad wanted me to keep my values. Some things they didn't want me to sacrifice. They wanted me to keep God first in my life. They wanted others to be second in my life. And they wanted myself to be third. He was one of the most popular boys at college. Voted into everything. Lived by the slogan, Slogan, I'm third. Oh, by the way, Captain John Ferrier, when his widow rummaged through his locker, looked for personal effects, opened his wallet, and a tiny paper fell out. Printed on the paper were these three phrases, God first, others second, myself third. He learned it as a nine-year-old boy at a summer camp. And he kept it in his heart all through college, into the Air Force, as a running back for Colorado State Rams. He went through his whole life saying, I'm third, I'm third. I wish we could attach those two words. I know it's I am, but I, I like I'm third. I like that, I'm third. I wish we could attach that to our hearts and say, Jesus, you're number one, and others are second and I'm third. I promise you, sadness would leave. Joy would rise up. If America could adopt I'm third, the wars would cease. The hate would stop. Everybody would get in line with the kingdom of God. If we use those slogans around our house, families would be united. I'm third. I'm not number one, I'm third, I'm third. This is who I am. If we could use that in our schools, 
We could use that in our government. We could use that around the world. What two words would change the whole societal view? I'm third. But we want to be number one. And you'll never be number one because there's only one number one. Genius who is selfish is foolish. The talented person who's thoughtless is to be pitied. The wealthy person who's callous to the needs of others is a pauper. But the one who goes first is the one who is concerned about the last. The one who leads is always preparing for the one who follows. And at the head of this church is one who always puts others first. This is the secret of a successful life. Please, please, please end this year with a relationship with the Lord. I'm going to put it on the screen. I'm third. I'm third. I'm third. I'm third. I know you folks know that I claim to be 55. But I'm really not. I'm 62. <laughs> Plus a little. And I understand that perhaps my greatest physical years are behind me. But I still believe my greatest spiritual victories are ahead of me. And I, if I could turn this congregation into putting Jesus as Lord of their life, not just Savior, but Lord, who art thou, Lord? We need the Lord of our life to be the Savior of our life. And we could claim him as Lord, and we could see others as better than ourselves, and we could see ourselves third. What a change in environment we could bring to the city of Austin. If we walked out of here saying, you know what? God, you're number one, and my family and my friends are number two. And Lord, I'm third. If a man could die saving lives of people by taking his plane into the ground, surrendering his life, can we give our lives daily to help others understand that they matter in our lives. Amen? Would you stand to your feet all over the building? Clap your hands for the word if you receive it tonight. Clap your hands for the word if you receive it tonight. I don't preach like this so you'll feel sorry for me. I preach like this so you'll love Jesus more. I want you to love Jesus more than anything else in this whole wide world. I want him to be so important in your life, so precious in your life, so wonderful. Amen. Don't ever forget his first name. His name shall be called Wonderful. Don't ever forget his first name. He's a wonderful Savior. He's a wonderful Savior. Would you take your bread tonight, hold it up, 
Amen. We're going to take communion. I love this. Let's bow our heads, Lord. Thank you for communion tonight. Thank you for your death, your burial, and your resurrection, and we love it. We honor you with our body, with our spirit, with our soul. We thank you, Lord, because of who you are. And God, we all make mistakes, but thank you for the fact that you see us through the blood. You see us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you for that. Receive the bread tonight as his body that was broken for you. Would you receive it? Amen. 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 Now I want you to take the precious fruit of the vine and I want you to hold it up and I want you to say, Lord, I thank you for saving blood, for healing blood, for delivering blood, and for covering our sins with your precious blood and forgetting them and not choosing to remember them Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, receive it tonight to yourself. As the juice goes down your throat, feel the healing power of the grace of God flood your heart right now. Flood your heart right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes white as snow. I'm singing, oh, the blood. Of Jesus, oh, the blood of Jesus, oh, sing it, oh, the blood of Jesus, it washes white as Thankful for the blood of Jesus. I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus. It washes white. Before I dismiss you, I want you to turn to a neighbor and say, I honor you. I honor you. Amen. It's him first, it's you, and then it's me. I honor you. Come on, tell somebody you honor them. Come on, tell somebody. Let me bless you. Dear Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless this congregation. I bless those watching online. I thank you for tonight for the purity of the word. God, your word is forever settled in heaven. And Lord, you taught us what it was to give yourself to others on a cross. We honor that tonight. 
You're not asking us to go to a cross, but you're asking us to take up our cross and follow you and to be what you want us to be as examples of loving others and loving you superior in our life. Now bless this congregation, bring us back Sunday in full force. Bring us back loving you and honoring you. And we'll bring the gospel on Sunday, God, to a people that are ready, that are ready to put you king of their life, to put others in their life second and themselves third. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. 